Um, a couple years ago, some of you know this, a couple years ago, the city and county decided to do some road work out here. So this road here, Dale and Woodbury Drive, uh, and it just kind of, you know, through some really sophisticated planning, they managed to cut off every road coming to the building all at once. So east, north, south, east, west, all got shut off. And so they were telling me, hey, guess what? We're going to do some construction at the building, uh, and there's really no way to get to your building. And I said, ah, it's going to be a little problem for us because, you know, it kind of is important to me at least that uh, people show up on Sunday. I know it's less important to some of you, but it's important to me. And uh, I don't know that a lot of people are going to airplane in on their private Cessnas or whatever. They're, we need to do something. So the city said, okay, fine, no problem. And they came up with this, this crazy convoluted route through these neighborhoods. And you had to like backtrack. And you literally, no joke, you literally had to drive right by road close signs to get to church. And I thought, I mean, you know me, I typically am an optimist. But I thought, oh, no, nobody's going to show up. Nobody's going to come. What are we going to do? The church is going to be, you know, like. I kind of got in my own head a little bit. And so I was like praying, God, please help us figure this out. And, you know, we don't want to die as a church because of road construction. What a terrible way to go. And uh, so I went and printed a bunch of signs and I put them all through the neighborhoods, you know, like church this way, come this way, keep coming. You're almost there. You can make it. And I put them all over and I was just like, oh, I just hope somebody shows up. Well, we had to do that for two or three weeks. True story. In that uh, span of time, we had our highest attendance at church up to that point. Our highest attendance. Like you guys, I think maybe we need to make church a little more difficult for some of you because some of you are looking for a challenge. I don't know what is going on. We had our highest attendance, and we had people discover and become members of the church because we put signs everywhere. Javier and his family are back here somewhere. He saw one of our signs, and he's like, oh, I've been looking for a church, and followed the signs and came and joined church. Like, how awesome is that? That's incredible. So I want you to know, like, what caused me despair, what I thought was a disruption, God was looking at as, as leveraging for an opportunity for good. So I don't know if you're like me, but I am a little, like, I think politics, pandemic stuff, I think that's a mess. It is a mess. We cannot get along. We don't agree. We're all like, what is going to happen? And I think we need to understand that God intends to use these moments for his glory. That's always been the point. That's always been the purpose. So if you're just going around moping on Facebook like, woe is you, woe is our country, I'm telling you, God has plans, and he intends to use those plans for his glory. That's what it's always been about. It's always been about his glory from the very beginning. And that's what we're talking about in this series. The series is called Myth and Mystery, and we're really talking about the church and I know when I say the word church, people are like, oh, great, I don't know, I should have stayed home this morning. Because I know a lot of you are like, you were debating whether or not, man, did we get here early enough to get a spot in the shade? I don't know. And I know I, we can't compete with the shade. I mean, it's very popular back there. But just church, just in general, it's just not like an exciting concept. And I think that it, we're unenthusiastic about church because we kind of have an uninspired idea of what church is. So we've essentially been saying the same thing every week. Church, people, humanity, it's all about the glory of God. And I'm not going to re-preach my sermons, but week one, God designed us for his glory. That's what it's always been about. So when you lean into glorifying God, you find meaning and purpose in your life. If you want to know the details of that, go back and listen to week one. When you lean away from glorifying God and doing your own thing, you find misery and suffering. It's just the way we're wired, whether or not you want to argue with that, it's just the way it is. 
Last week, we talked about, man, we don't always get along with other people at church. We don't always enjoy one another's company. And so I don't know. I don't know if I need those people because they're kind of a pain in the neck sometimes. And we talked about how the fact that God is glorified when we push through, not go off and do our own thing and take our ball and go home, but when we push through and continue to glorify him and love one another, that's what glorifies God. All right, if you take your Bibles, I want you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to start in verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 and 9. And I'll tell you why we're skipping the ones in the middle, not because they're not important. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone. It's a metaphor for Jesus. He pulled, Peter pulled it, well, Jesus actually used it, but it's from uh, the psalm, Psalm 118, that Jesus is a living stone. As you come to him, the living stone, this stone was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. To him. You also, now remember last week, you're not going to hear me say y'all a lot in my life, but last week we talked about this idea that those yous are actually plural, they're y'alls, y'all, you guys also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. So individually, yeah, we're kind of doing our own thing. It's just me and Jesus, but that's not the way Jesus views it. Jesus views it as us and Jesus. There's this we element here. You all are being built up um, into a spiritual house or a temple. You're being built up. All, all of you on the lawn, all of you that are watching the live stream, all of you that have listened online, you're being built up into a spiritual temple to be a holy priesthood. So not only are you the temple, but you're also the priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. You, see, you, you begin to note the language he's using. He's talking about this Old Testament way of worshiping God. They went to the temple, offered the sacrifices. Glad we don't have to do that today, but that's, he's diving into familiar language to describe what's happening at church. Now, he quotes some verses out of Isaiah and out of the Psalms, but I want you to jump back down to verse 9. He says, you, y'all, you guys are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We are that we may declare the praises of him who called you guys out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is church that we are together and we may declare his praises. And I know you're kind of like, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm really excited about that. When I say worship, declaring God's praises, when I say worship, I think there's one of two reactions here on the lawn. Uh, I think the first reaction is like, yeah, it's kind of one of those vague words like holy or glory or hallelujah that you just use in church and we're just not quite sure what it means, worship. We vaguely know it kind of means something about like praising and all that. But I think a lot of us internally translate the word worship. When I say we're going to go worship, what we hear is we're going to go sing. That's what we hear when we think of worship, singing like at church on Sunday morning. That's typically the way that we've kind of translated. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I, I want to be uh, open and honest because I have struggled a little bit with worship. Some of you get it. Some of you get worship. You're just in tune with God and it just totally makes sense and so what I'm about to say won't make sense to you, but I think that there's at least a percentage of us on the lawn or listening online for whom this is going to resonate a little bit because worship is not one of the elements of Christianity that really just kind of lands with you. Um, I, I understand the general idea that we're supposed to like sing praises to God or praise God or glorify God, but I'm just not sure that I understand all the ins and outs and the connections. I'm not sure I, if I could say it this way, I'm not sure I felt 
it. Let me, let me give you an example. Think about some of the language of worship, particularly in our songs. And we'll talk about how worship is more than singing. But particularly in our songs, how many of you, you know, you guys like the old hymns, right? I mean, we're Church of Christ. That's why we come to Church of Christ. If we didn't like the old hymns, we'd be somewhere else. I know a lot of you like the old hymns. Uh, you guys know the, the hymn, My God and I? You familiar with that song? I was, I was thinking about the lyrics the other day. My God and I, we, uh, we go through the field together. We're just me and God wandering through the field like some sort of weird senior photo op. And it says, we walk and talk as good friends should and do. Uh, have, you, have you done that? Have you just walked through the field walking and talking as good friends shouldn't do? Some of you are like, yeah, because you get it. But I didn't get it. It says, listen to this. This is the next line. We clasp our hands, you and God holding hands, skipping through the daisies. And it says our voices ring with laughter. Does that description of worship resonate with you? Some of you, it does. Me, it does not. I don't like walk through going on a hike just, <laughs> oh, God told me a funny joke. That's not my experience. And I read lyrics like that, and I'm like, I don't know that I can to totally relate to this. My God and I walk through the meadows hue. I get it. I get the, the sentiment. I know I should have that, but I don't know that I exactly feel that. Or how about a, a familiar song, As the Deer? That's a familiar song. It's actually taken right out of the Psalms, As the Deer. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. I don't even know what that means. What is the apple of my eye? I know it's like supposed to be a good thing, but I'm not exactly sure what that means. And I've sung that lyric many times, and I'm not exactly sure I understand exactly what I'm singing. Or how about this? I love the song, 10,000 Reasons. I love it. But if somebody handed me a notepad and said, okay, write out 10,000 Reasons, I could maybe get to like seven or eight and then I would probably start repeating myself 10,000 reasons. I don't, that's a lot. I don't know if I could do that. That's the language of worship. And honestly, to me, it often has felt hyperbolic. Like I get some of you are worship Olympians, but man, I'm just trying to like jog a little bit. And I don't know that I always understand like this, this language, this experience of worship. The standard for worship in scripture has to be the Psalms, right? That's, that's this whole anthology of songs and poetry. And I want you to think about some of the words in the Psalms. Psalm 89, I could sing of your love forever. Well, I, I could do it a little while. I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, an hour, but forever. I, that, I don't know, David, that I completely relate to that sentiment. Or how about Psalm 84? My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. I've never, have you ever experienced that? Like, I can't wait to be together with other Christians. I'm just going to faint if I can't be with them. No, some of you are like, I came today. I'm going to faint because of the heat. It has nothing to do with you guys. How about this? Uh, Psalm 25, he says, I lift up my soul to you, O Lord. I don't even know how you do that. What does that mean? It's very poetic, hyperbolic, flowerly language. And I'm not trying to like pile on too much here, but I'm just trying to see if some of you kind of relate to me a little bit. Like, I know worship's important. I know we are created to glorify God, but I'm not sure that I have that experience of worship. Like, how do I get to that place? If David's like a professional, how do, how do I get there? Do I have even any, any, any chance of getting there? So honestly, I've kind of tended to dismiss the book of Psalms. Like when I read through my Bible, I speed read through the Psalms. Because I'm like, I just don't get this. This is, not, this is not me. This is not the way I'm wired. Now, of course, you know about half the Psalms are lament. 
Psalms, you guys knew that, right? They're the original blues, and it's where David and the other authors, in fact, David only wrote about half the Psalms. M many of the Psalms are written by other people, many of which are anonymous. So the men and women that wrote these Psalms are often just writing these, like, they're writing blues songs. Like, it must have, it felt like some of the Psalms were written during, like, a pandemic during an election year. Like, how long, oh Lord? That's the kind of stuff that they're asking God. But half the Psalms are praise Psalms, and that's kind of what I want to focus on today. And, and just the language seems a little over the top. And, and if it's genuine, it seems a little like, is that real? But if it is genuine, it just, my experience of God seems to fall short of theirs, and maybe some of yours as well. I want you to think a little bit about the concept of worship. Just, I know this may seem a little basic, but I want to break it down just for a second. Because it's a religious word, but it's a pretty common human experience. You've been over to somebody's house, and you've thought, wow, this food is delicious. We, we were invited over to the Edwards recently, and, and, uh, and Anna made meatloaf, and it was delicious. It was so good. I, and I don't know if I said this, Anna, but I probably should have. I should have said, Anna, you are a fantastic cook. That would have been, like, that would have been worship. And I don't, I, we don't like to use biblical languages for the language for this situation, but it's like, oh, I, I, I experienced something, and then I acknowledged that experience by, by giving credit where credit would do. That, that's worship. You watch a basketball game, a hockey game, a football game, and you experience worship because you saw a display of athletic ability, Jordan with the dunk in the 84, uh, um, uh, 88 dunk contest. And the next day, you sing the praises of that play or that athlete to your coworkers. You talk to them like, did you see that? What an amazing play. What an incredible athlete. You're, 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 you're declaring their praises. That's, that, that's worship. And again, it sounds weird because you're like, well, that's a person. I don't think we're supposed to worship people. Yeah, I get that. How many of you have ever met a celebrity? Have, how many of you have seen Scottie Pippen on an airplane and nodded to him? I mean, and you're like, oh, you told all your friends about that. You shared that with everybody. Maybe if you got a chance to get a picture or a signature with a celebrity, maybe you framed that and hung that on your wall. That's, that's worship. That's the same thing. You're acknowledging something. You're sensing, you're recognizing something and responding to it. It's the same thing. When people fall in love, they even, they even write songs. They write worship songs to one another. Even the least poetic person has probably written a little poem. Roses are red, violets are blue, I think you're pretty, and I'm bad at rhyming, you know, whatever that is. And we've all been in situations where we were expected to declare praises and we didn't feel comfortable. Somebody said, what do you think of my haircut? And we didn't know how to respond because we actually didn't think it was very good. We recognized that it was bad and we didn't know how to tell them. But worship is a recognition and response to significance. It's a natural, normal human phenomenon. We've all been there. We all are there. It's a good thing to say. We teach our kids. If somebody gives you something, you say, thank you. That's, the, that's that same basic interaction, same basic mechanics of, of worship. So when we think about this idea in relationship to God, so I just finished reading the Psalms again in just my personal reading, and I tried to go really slow and try to understand it. I begin to see something kind of valuable in the Psalms, and I want to just give you a couple examples. If, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can listen. Psalm 48, verse 1. It's not a, no songs about this one, or no modern worship songs about this, but Psalm 48, verse 1. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. That's pretty standard for the Psalms. And then he goes on to say, in the city of God... His holy mountain, beautiful in its 
loftiness. So he's talking about the city. So he's evidently sitting on like some park bench or he's sitting on a park outside of the city and he's looking over the city and we're going to find out he's looking over the skyline of Jerusalem and he's just overwhelmed by how beautiful this city is. In fact, he, uh, he says in verse 12, walk about Zion. That was a way of saying Jerusalem. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. So this psalmist was looking at Jerusalem, and he was having an experience. And he, in response to that experience, was saying, wow, this city is amazing. Thank you, God, for Jerusalem. That's awesome. Thanks for giving us the city. You could do the same thing. You could walk around a park in Woodbury, and you'd be like, wow, Woodbury is amazing. Thank you, God, for Woodbury. It'd be the same experience where you see something, you recognize it for what it is, and then you worship God. Um, there's a really interesting one in Psalm. I'll skip it. I've got a bunch, but I won't read them all. Psalm 93, verses 3 and 4. The seas have lifted up. Lord, the seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up her pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. And you're just, you're reading that and you're like, hey, you were just talking about the ocean. And then you just like flipped and started talking about God. It's because this psalmist has the ability to look at the world around him and see in it a glimpse of the character of God. He's maybe out on a boat or he's having a day at the beach and he sees there's a storm or whatever and he's like, wow, you know what? The sea is amazing. You know what? God is amazing. And so he's recognizing God within this natural everyday experience. I, I think we all have moments like that and we just don't always recognize them for what they are. I'm going to give you an example that I don't know that many of you are going to resonate with, so that's always a good way to start an illustration. But this last winter, I woke up early. There had been a fresh snow on the ground, right? And right now, fresh snow sounds okay, right, as you're melting in, in, in the summer heat. There had been a fresh snow, so the ground is just covered. It's beautiful. It's white. It's before it gets all nasty and muddy or whatever. And I woke up, and it was, it was early enough that the sun was breaking through the trees and there was this, our neighbor, uh, our, our backyard looks over our neighbors, and he's got this pond, and there was just this fresh snow, and the shaft of light was coming through the trees onto the middle of the pond, and right there in the middle of the shaft of light was this fox, a bright red fox that had run out, and it just kind of posed there, like it knew what it was doing, and just kind of like sat there for a second right in the shaft of light. I mean, it was like in a movie setting where some uh, uh, director of photography had just set this up perfectly. It was just, it was so beautiful. And I'm sitting there, and I know it doesn't make sense, you know, it doesn't sound beautiful because it's hard to picture, but it was my experience. And I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of starting to fumble for my phone so I can get a picture, and I just know it's not going to adequately convey the moment. I know my words can't even adequately convey the moment, but I'm just sitting there looking at the window, drinking my cup of coffee, and I'm just like, wow, that's so cool. Have you had moments like that where you're just like, wow? Well, and it could be anything. It could be natural beauty. It could be you going to the redwood forest and just like walking around and saying, wow, this is incredible. It could be you just, you know, a perfect moment with the family. Everybody's home. Everybody's happy. They're just sitting around the table and laughing and enjoying one another's company. It doesn't happen very often. And you as a parent, you're just like sitting there soaking it in. You're like, wow, this is so good. This is an awesome moment. Wow. Thank you, God. It could be a dinner with friends, and you just enjoy that company so much, and you're just thinking, wow, I love this moment. It could be a gesture of kindness or generosity that is just profound and meaningful and given at the right time. But everyone gets moments like these. 
And then, of course, the baby starts crying, and you forget you're late for a dentist appointment, and it all kind of shatters. But everybody, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everybody gets moments of transcendence, whether you're Christian or not. Everybody experiences those moments in life. However, Christians, followers of God, recognize in those moments something bigger than just that moment. If you don't believe in God, you're like, wow, that was great. That was cool. What's the rest of my day look like? If you're a believer in God, you at least have the opportunity to be like, wow, and then you can direct your focus to the character of God based on that common everyday moment or or that transcendent moment that you got to experience. The challenge isn't whether or not we have reasons to worship. The challenge, especially for people like me, is recognizing those as reasons for worship. Earlier this week, uh, my, my, I took my kids over to Willow River Falls, just over the border. It's beautiful over there. Have you guys been over there? You should go over there. It's beautiful. You go over there, and you just like you have to do this little hike, and i got to warn you, the hike back up is pretty tough. If you've got little kids, they're not going to enjoy that. Be prepared to carry them. And uh, you get down there, and it's just you can hear the falls before you get there, and you kind of walk around the corner, and then it opens up. And it's just this just little, little corner of natural beauty in the middle of Wisconsin. Who would have thought? Um, anyway, so we're walking down there. We see, you know, see that. And most people are, there's this bridge kind of across the creek, and it looks over the falls, and most people are taking pictures, and they're playing in the waterfalls. But there's this one guy, one guy who had a newspaper, a paper newspaper. You remember those? And he literally has his back to the falls, and he's reading the newspaper. And I, this guy had to get out of his car and say, you know what, when I get down to this moment of natural beauty, I want to make sure I can remind myself of all the horrible things that are going on in the world. So I'm going to bring a newspaper with me to read while I'm down there. And furthermore, I'm going to turn my back to this declaration of God's glory and read about the terrible things that are going on in the world. I was like, this guy's, I don't know, maybe he'd been there hours and he was like, I'm done with this. I have no idea. But I thought, what a perfect example of humanity where God just surrounds us with reasons to worship and reasons to praise him. And we're on our phones looking about the, the, the daily news or Facebook and getting all worked up about people and what they think and whether or not their opinions agree with us. We're literally turning our back on the natural declaration of God's glory and just filling our brains with just the worst stuff. I get a little annoyed with Facebook. I feel like I preach about it too much, but... I just feel like it distracts us from God. It distracts us from his glory. The challenge isn't whether or not we have good reasons to worship God. The challenge is recognizing those reasons when they're right in our face. But recognition is only half the battle. C.S. Lewis, just awesome author, he actually didn't like singing at church. We'll talk about that in just a quick second. But he didn't like singing. He was like, clearly, you don't have to have good taste in music to be a Christian because it was, it's terrible. And so he would have been fine if churches never, never sing again. And part of his problem was, is he didn't get it. And, and I think this is an experience many of us have, have had. He just thought, it's so weird that God would say, here's what I want you to do as Christians. I want you to sing my praises all day long. How insecure is God? I mean, can you imagine if you had a friend that was like, listen, 24-7, you just need to say nice things about me, and, just, and that's the only way we're going to be able to be, have a relationship. You'd be like, what in the world? Like, that's not, that's not healthy. And so C.S. Lewis was like, why would God need this? You know, he just doesn't, what in the world does he need us to say nice things? It's, it seems patronizing. 
And then he realized he had this, like, you know, turned a corner, and he realized worship wasn't for God. Worship isn't for God. It's for us. God doesn't need to be told he's great. God knows. He's a pretty smart guy. In fact, if you read the book of Isaiah, God has a choir that's going to do a much better job than any of us could do that's constantly chanting his praises all the time. So he's got that. He doesn't need you to do that. You need to do that. In the same way, you got to tell your kids to say thank you every once in a while when they're given something good by uh, someone else. Because it's not because it's good to the giver, because it's good for the kid. It's good for their development. And C.S. Lewis realized worship is, and this is the quote, this is so great, worship is the perfection of enjoyment because you have that transcendent moment of the fox in the backyard or Willow River Falls or walking through the redwoods, and the moment is not full and complete unless you recognize it for what it actually is. It's not complete unless you say glory to God for his creation. Glory to God for his goodness. You have, you're, you're limited in the moment if you don't recognize that. In fact, what C.S. Lewis would say, and he didn't say this, but, but I will, he would say that worship is, the only, is only the logical, the only logical response to God. That's the only thing that makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. It's the, it's the logical response to being confronted with the character and realities of God. Let's talk about singing for two minutes. We've done a strange thing in the last 30 or 40 years, maybe longer. We've made worship, the word worship, synonymous with the word singing. So now sometimes we use them interchangeably. Hey, let's go worship. We're going to worship this morning. Let's worship. And what we're often saying is we're going to sing. We've made those two words synonymous. And that's not the way Jesus used the word. That's not the way Paul, Peter, any of those guys. They would not use the word worship in, in, synonymously with singing. They just wouldn't. In fact, in the Psalms, singing is a important, an important verb for worship, but it's not the only one. You know what some of the other verbs in the Psalms that, that David and the other authors connect to, to, to worshiping God? Anybody have any idea? Shout them out. What are some other verbs that are connected to worship? What's that? Meditating. Meditating is worship. I meditate. Well, we don't think of uh, meditate. I don't know. Sounds like an Eastern thing to me. You know another verb? Shouting. Shouting is connected to worship in the Psalms. I mean, how about that? How about we have shouting worship some Sunday morning? You guys up for that? It would freak the neighbors out. They're probably weirded out enough as it is, but we're just all on the lawn shouting. Or how about this one? Dancing. It's used in the Psalms multiple times. David gave us examples of dancing in worship to God. You know what? You, half of you would quit this church if we had dancing worship. You definitely wouldn't show up that Sunday, but if we incorporated it into our every Sunday worship, you'd be like, nope, I'm going somewhere else where there's no dancing. Dancing is a verb used often in, in worship of God, meditating, dancing, uh, shouting. I mean, yes, singing, of course, singing. In fact, the, the, the one I love, I think I love the most, I just, again, I told you I just finished the Psalms. Psalm 150, short little psalm, it's dedicated to, to the author telling you different ways you can make noise in order to worship God. Here's a, well, you could do this, and you could do this, and do this, and you should make all the, you should make noise in worship to God. That's amazing. It's incredible. Singing, sure. Spouses, you know, it's good for you, uh, for your husband or wife to say that they love you, right? That's, you need that every once in a while. Every 10 or 15 years, you should say it. You need that. That's a good thing. But if that's the only thing that they do to show or display their love, then you'd be like, I don't know. I'm not sure that that phrase has the meaning it should. Shouldn't your spouses do things 
to show you that they love you? Yes. <laughs> yes, they should. That's exactly right. Because sometimes the words lose their meaning. Have you ever had this happen? This terrifying experience? Where you often close out a phone conversation with your husband or wife by saying, I love you. That's a good thing to do. Good habit to get in. The problem is when it becomes a habit and you're on the phone with the dental receptionist and you're ending the conversation, you know, scheduling appointment and you let a, I love you slip in there. Well, <laughs> what are they supposed to I love you too, you know. You got to change dentists after that because that appointment is going to be awkward because they know your name. Singing is the most obvious, direct way to worship. It is. But we may be missing the point of worship if we think it is the only way to worship. Maybe some Sunday morning we should just have meditation worship. Try that. Because here's the problem. Some of you are like, I'm not interested in dancing worship. I'm not interested in meditation worship. I'm not interested in shouting worship. Well, maybe worship has become more about what you like than what God wants. That's a, that's a dangerous place to be in, and that's a struggle for Christians. Well, God, I want to worship you the way I want to worship you. And God's like, listen, yeah, hey, we're taking a little break from worship. I mandated a break by your governor, so we're going to have to figure out some new ways to worship. I know some of you are so nervous, like, Patrick, are you dancing next week? I don't know, maybe. We'll see. Worship can be so many things, and maybe we've just missed the point when we only think it can be one. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. There's that Old Testament language again. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Even just you declaring that, you, that Jesus Christ is Lord is worship. And then he goes on to say, and do not, or they, we don't know who the author is, and do not, go, do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You worship God by doing good. You worship God by sharing with others. All of it, all of the above is worship. All right. Some of you may be thinking, I'm going to wrap up. Some of you may be thinking like, okay, Patrick, this is great. Meditation, shouting, singing, whatever. Um, everything you just described as worship, I, I, it doesn't have to happen at church. It doesn't have to happen Sunday morning. That's true. It doesn't. In fact, some of you may go the next step and say, you know, I don't actually need church to worship. I don't need, and in fact, and I have heard this, some people say, hey, um, Patrick, no offense, but I get more out of a solo walk through the woods, or maybe, you know, a golf course, or maybe a ski hill, or maybe, you know, sitting by a beach, I get more connected to God doing that than sitting here and listening to you talk. Well, well two things. Number one, uh, I'm a little offended. It takes me a long time to work on these sermons, so thank you. you know, I, I, need, I need affirmation. But number two, you don't know what you're missing out on. If you think that, you have no idea what you're missing out on. Let me say this. Can you worship God walking in the woods on a hike solo? Yes, of course you can. And some of you are like, I get so much more out of that. That's so much more important to me, and so I'm just going to skip church and go do that. First of all, it's not either or, but here's what you miss. How many of you know um, Chu Vang? Many of you, Chu Vang. Uh, she attends our church. Chu does. Um, in fact, if you 24/7, she's in the garden. She gardens about three acres over there. I don't know what an acre is, but she gardens a lot. And uh, she, I have probably 30 pounds of uh, veggies at my house from Chu. I don't. She's incredible. I think Chu's about 80 years old, pretty close to it. I went to her 70th birthday party. 
and no matter what you had at your birthday party, it wasn't as cool as Chu's birthday party. It, this is true. It was held on a Sunday afternoon in a nightclub. In a nightclub, and there was an Elvis impersonator. I don't know what you had at your birthday, but it was not as cool as Chu's birthday. Chu, of course, is a Hmong refugee. She literally escaped genocide, and so America, in our benevolence, transported them from, from the subtropical Laotian area and brought them to Minnesota. That should work, right? Oh, they'll love that. So Chu lives here. Her English is actually better than your Hmong. It's quite a bit better than your Hmong. But she comes to church. When, we have, when we've been having church indoors, she comes and she sits kind of in the back corner. Well, let me tell you, she does not understand a word I say. I speak way too fast. That, I, I'm working on it, but that is a criticism I've gotten my entire ministry. I speak way too fast. Chu has no idea what I'm saying. No idea. We're singing songs in another language. I mean, we're, you know, she's, she's having to learn these words and these melodies in a language not her own. And she comes every Sunday and she, she prays with us and she walks up during the shepherd's prayer and prays with them. And wow, I mean, Chu, this is someone who has such a clear, compelling view of God that she is going to worship God even though there are many roadblocks and hurdles to doing so. That's pretty impressive. And when I look at Chu, I actually get a clearer picture of God because I see someone who sees him more clearly. You don't get to see Chu on your walk in the woods or your day at the beach. Some of you know um, Krista Craven. She's going to be super embarrassed that I talked about her this morning. But Krista um, had two parents die this year, this year in 2019. Two parents. Both her parents passed away. Krista still texts Corrine and I pretty regularly and says, hey, can I be praying for you? What can I be praying for you about? someone who has their own struggles and difficulties is still thinking about someone else. And when I, I'm, I'm impressed and overwhelmed by her ability to think about other people. I can worship God by seeing Krista. The Edwards, I mean, they don't want me to say any of this, but I'm going to anyway. You could, you could literally combine everybody here on the lawn and how much they do at church, and it wouldn't even be a fraction of what the Edwards do. The amount of work, the amount of times I show up at the building late at night and Travis is here fixing something or he's attending one of the urban ministry events. Now, Travis and Anna and I all went to college together. We were freshmen the same year. In fact, Travis and I shared a, um, a, a dorm room together, and it took about 20 years to work through that. But Travis and I were even roommates in, uh, in college, so I know how old they are. And they have decided to take on not one, but two babies. Most of you are just praising God that you're not changing diapers anymore. And they decided, hey, well, most of our kids are grown and driving, and so we're going to take on another challenge on top of everything else we do. We can look at Travis and Anna and Krista Craven, and so many of you, those of you that have gone through cancer, and those of you, just the things that people do. Here's the deal. Here's what you miss when you walk in the woods on Sunday morning and say, I don't need the church, is you miss, literally miss, the forest of God's glory shown through people for the trees. That's an image of the glory of God. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. But you know what? We are images of God. And when we interact with one another, when we fellowship with one another, 
man, you begin to be able to see God's glory in such a unique way because you are multiplying at times. I don't know how many people, how many people are here this morning, Kareem? More than 112. That's a weird way to say that. But more than 112. Are, you, when you worship God on the lawn, you are multiplying your odds by 112 of seeing the glory of God because you get to see God's image on full display. Yeah, trees are great. They're awesome. I love trees. Chipmunks, squirrels, all those things are wonderful. You should do those things. But then you should also glorify God by walking among his people. It's the bottom line. Let me, let me wrap up by saying this. We tend to think of church as a where to worship God. That's where, a geographic location. That's what we think of. But here's what you need to change your mindset to. Church needs to be a why to worship God. It needs to be a why. And you miss out. It is to your detriment when you neglect that connection. Some of you are like, Patrick, we're here. We're sweating. Come on. You know, why are you haranguing us? Well, I'm talking to the people on the live stream. But it, we, I'm trying to help us remember what this is all about. We worship God by recognizing God in the world around us, including the people around us. The transformation we see in people, the answer to prayers, your small groups. That's how we worship God, by recognizing God's character in the people around us. Let me wrap up this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, you guys, y'all, are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You all are a chosen people. You all are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's who you are. You are God's special possession. That all y'all, that's the last time I'm going to say y'all, may declare the praises of him who called you guys out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let's pray.